Today we will talk about the God who sees everything. Being that he is omniscient means that he knows everything. Omnipotent means he can do anything. And omnipresent means he is ubiquitous. He's everywhere. If I make my bed in the heavens, the psalmist says, behold, you are there. If I try to plummet to the depths of hell itself, God sees me there. The God who sees. Think about sight with me for just a moment. Think about the uh, inanimate object of the eye. You have two of them, two eyes, two ears, one mouth, uh, two eyes. Think about just the, the incredible, irreducibly complex entity of an eye. An eye can make 100,000 different movements or motions. It comes with automatic aiming, focus, and our eyes even conduct maintenance on themselves while we are asleep, which makes me say evolution's really amazing. I'm just kidding. The human eye, Michael Behe, the biochemist, says it is irreducibly complex. It could have never evolved because what good is a partial eye? Are you with me? What good is partial vision or seeing? It has to be created in an instantaneous moment in order for it to be any good, sort of like the cell. That's kind of the literal eye, but what about the metaphysical? What about the philosophical sight, vision, understanding, wisdom? For example, this lady has amazing insight into complex matters. Now, is that telling me that her vision is 20-20, or are we making a compliment about her wisdom, her intuition, her vision? You see, there are two dimensions to sight. There is what you see with the physical naked human eye, which is incredibly amazing work of art by Almighty God, and then there is what you cannot see, the inanimate, the, uh, the spirit world, if you will, the, the vision, the understanding, the wisdom, the knowledge that comes with that. And again, all of that is the creation of an awesome, almighty God. How in the world can understanding ever evolve? How could the very thought of wisdom uh, be, be what it may accept that it's the creation of God? So today we're talking about seeing. Seeing with her eyes. Are you with me? And seeing with our hearts. The Bible says in Proverbs that God made it all. Uh, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And Psalm 139 says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, God, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are alike. They are both alike unto you. Today, the name of God that we study is El Roy, the God who sees. Genesis chapter 16 is our text. And what I want to do today is I want to read the whole chapter to you. Uh, verses 1 through 16, because if I do not, uh, you're, you're not going to understand. If you read the text within its context, which is just a basic form of hermeneutics, whether we were studying today uh, history, psychology, uh, anatomy, physiology, whatever our text would be, we would have to practice hermeneutics and read the context of the text. I can make, you can make the Bible say anything if you pull it out of what? out of context, but let's keep it within its text and context and read about some of these fascinating, fabulous characters in the Bible called Abraham and Sarah. After I read the text, I'm going to take a few minutes and kind of walk with you through some historical and textual matters 
And I do this for a reason, guys, not because I'm trying to bore you or so that I can, you know, help your insomnia and put you to sleep. I'm going to do this for you because I've come today with a presupposition that you've come today not to be entertained, but to really worship God with your mind. And, you know, Great Hills is a different church, and I don't make any apologies for that. We're, we're going to be different. We're going to really study. We're going to have heart and emotion and pathos and ethos, but we're also going to have logos. We're going to study God's Word. Okay. That song is just... high and hard abandoned. Oh, I just love that. All I am, Lord, is yours. So the Bible says in Genesis 16, Now Sarah, Abram's wife. This would be Sarah and Abraham before God changed their name, okay? She had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Okay, TV, time out, desperate housewives, what is going on? I mean, I thought this was the Bible. I mean, is the Bible talking about? Yeah, it is. Abraham and Sarah had been in Canaan land for 10 years. God told them he would give them a child. God did not give them a child yet. So they decided they're going to help God. And they're going to give, Abram's going to take on another wife, commit adultery, and have sex with this lady in order to produce a child so that they can help God fulfill his promise. She said, that is crazy. That is ludicrous. We are people. We're crazy. We think sometimes that we have to help God instead of just let God. Can I just go on record and say it? God doesn't need our help. God needs our obedience. And God needs us to trust him. So let's look at the story. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, hello, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years. That is such an important textual matter. Ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived... Hmm. Her mistress became despised in her eyes. So Sarah said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. She flies off the handle. Abram does what she tells him to do, and she gets mad. Don't say anything. Don't Just, just keep reading. So... So, ladies, it's cool. I love you. So, Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly, it's an interesting Hebrew word, anah. It means to browbeat. It means to look down upon. It means to ravage, to mistreat. Sarah's not being very godly right now, okay? She mistreated Hagar greatly, and she fled from her presence. Uh, Hagar's hurt, so what does she do? She flees. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, go back. It's literally in the imperative mood in the Hebrew language. Return. Shub is the Old Testament word that we translate a lot of times, repent. It literally means go back home to your mistress 
an ana. Interesting, same old Hebrew word. It means to humiliate and humble yourself, submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, basically, guys, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, God says, I'm going to bless you. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which literally means in Hebrew, God hears because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. He shall dwell in, his, in the presence of all of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord. Look at this now, God's self-revelation. God has revealed a character, and attribute of his person, of who he is. And in this moment of insight, as God reveals it to Hagar, she said, Oh my, you are the God who sees. Literally in Hebrew, you are Elroi. And she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Laha Roi. Observe it. It is between Kadesh and Bered. The name of that well literally means the well of the one who lives and sees me. Verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. To Abram. Let me walk you through some textual matters and some historical issues, and then we'll move into the message itself. First of all, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it is arguably the greatest passage of Scripture in the entire 39 books of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, our faith is beautifully encapsulated in this one verse, and it says this, and Abraham believed in the Lord his God, and God imputed it unto him as righteousness. As a pastor, people ask me a lot of times, well, how were people in a right relationship with God in the Old Testament and, 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 and then again in the New Testament? How does it work? It's the same principle. God redeems, God restores, God blesses based not on our works, but upon our faith and our trust in Almighty God. Listen, guys, today... More than anything else, God is trustworthy, and he wants you to trust him. As great as Abraham was in Genesis 15, he was equally as bad in Genesis 15. Genesis 16 is just the antithesis of Genesis 15. In chapter 15, he's walking with God, he's trusting God, he's believing in God, he's being blessed by God. In chapter 16, he's walking... In denial, he's walking by sight. He's not trusting God. He's not doing what God asked him to do. So him and his wife, they said, what we need to do is help God out. We have been here for 10 stinking years, and I ain't had no baby yet. Honey, I'm getting older by the minute. God made a promise. God is reneging on his promise. So what we're going to do is we're going to help God. Trouble, flashing, neon lights, guys. Oh, but Brother Danny, I'm 30 years old, and I still haven't got married, so the next woman that comes along, boom, she's mine. Excuse me. You can't do that. You can't operate on that base of flesh and worry and doubt and fear. Anything you do in fear and flight and, and fright is going to end up in failure. So this is just some textual issues. This is what is going on in 15 and 16. Ishmael is the progenitor of the Arab race. Some of you going, what? That's what I thought. And them bunch of Muslims, that's where those rascals... Hold on, time out. 
Let's talk about that for just a minute. I tell you, I've found that we in the church are just as guilty as the people outside as far as stereotypical behavior, racism, and categorically just dumping everybody in one lump sum. That is not fair. That's not right. If you disagree with me, then what are you going to do with Arab believers? What do you do with Tony Maloof? Tony Maloof is a dear godly friend of mine, a colleague of mine when I taught at the seminary. Dr. Maloof has written a book entitled Arabs in the Shadow of Israel, The Unfolding of God's Prophetic Plan for Ishmael's Line. The Arab people today are in 22 countries and they constitute about 300 million people. Some of them are directly related, Dr. Maloof says, to Ishmael, ethnically, bloodline, but not everybody. He says at least they're related geographically and religiously, but he says it would be such a shame. Wouldn't it be a shame to say, all the Arab people, a bunch of wild and woolly, crazy people, and that's why they're killing each other and blowing each other up over there in the Middle East, and it's because the Bible said they'd be just a bunch of crazies. That's like saying, I'm not saying this, but it would be like saying, you know, all of those Cajuns in Louisiana are a bunch of crazy people. Now, come on. I'd take exception to that. There are some brilliant Cajun people who, who love the Lord just as much as you and I do. Listen, guys, stay with me for just a minute as we unpack this. You and I have to be careful of stereotypical racist behavior that lumps everybody in one sum and ostracizes them from everybody else, okay? Ask me what I really think about it. <laughs> Dr. Maloof says this, quote, I do not believe Genesis 16, 12, as understood by most people in the church today, is fair in representing the Arab people. I go into great detail in my class describing the positive side of the traits predicted that are given to Hagar in a context of, hey, the context of the God who sees and the God who listens. I divorce Ishmael from Islam and present him a part of our biblical legacy from a Christian perspective. I hope to attract back to the Bible those who claim association with him today. Just an interesting little vignette of history about the Arab people and about their line, whom God promised that he would enormously bless. Now, let me share one more word with you in verse 5. What Sarah is doing here with, with Abraham, let, let me just share this with you, and then we'll move right on into the, to the sermon. <laughs> so what have you been doing for the last 10 minutes? Just kind of warming you up, just kind of getting you, getting you ready. It's, it's interesting that what she does here, she, one writer says her outburst closes with what is virtually a curse on her husband. Sarah says, honey, I cannot conceive marry this woman, sleep with this woman, she'll have a child, we'll take the child, and everything will be rosy. Well, Abraham did what she said. The lady conceived, they had a child, and she got irate. And she basically cursed her husband. John Calvin says, you know, this is the mother of the faithful. This is Sarah herself. And what she does here is improper use of the name of God. Listen to that, it's very important. John Calvin, the wonderful reformer, said, this is an improper usage of Almighty God, Jehovah's name, Yahweh. She pronounced a curse upon him, and she forgets that due reverence, which is so strongly enforced upon those who are godly. He goes on, I'm quoting him. She makes her appeal to the judgment of God. What else is this than to call down destruction on her own head? End of quote. Now, get this. If Sarah, who walked with God 
and loved God and heard from God could commit such an egregious behavior, an act of sin against God and rebuking her husband. If the mother of all faithful Sarai could do that, then listen, ladies and gentlemen, you and I ought to be very, very careful (laughs) because if it can happen to them, it can happen to me. It can happen to you. We can fall prey to temptation, to sexual immorality, to, to hatred, to stereotypical behavior. We can do, Listen, guys, the Bible says, let us take heed, those of us who say, I stand, lest we fall. Now, the four things I want to share with you are these. According to this text, and according to the context of the text where God manifests another attribute or characteristic of who he is, Number one is God finds us. God finds. It says here in the text, if you'll look with me in verse uh, 6, Abram said to Sarah, your maid is in your hand, do what you please. She dealt harshly with her, and then Hagar flees. And the angel of the Lord found her, interesting, by a spring of water in the wilderness. When you check this out geographically, she is in the Arabian Desert, the western, far western portion of the Arabian desert, on her way to Shur, which is Egypt. Hagar has been abandoned. She has been mistreated. She has been the blunt end of stereotypical racial behavior. She has been hurt deeply, egregiously in her soul. And so what she does, she does not fight, but she does the other thing, she does flight. And you, we do the same thing. You big, raw bone Texas man, I know who you are. Somebody hurts me, brother. Now I'm going to give him five of these where he sneezes. Man, I'm putting him out. That's just what we do in Texas, buddy. You get offended, you offend. And ladies, oh, no, not me. I'll just clam up and I'll just get angry and I'll get bitter for the rest of my life and I'll just deal with it the best way I can. Both of them are wrong. Hagar, God comes to her and says, uh, Hagar, excuse me, where are you coming from and where are you going? Do you think God is looking for information here? Do you think God is still omniscient? Do you think God's going, Hey, hey, angel, have you, have you seen Agar? I've, I've lost track on my heavenly blip of the radar, and I, I can't find that woman. And so, heavenly host, help me, Jehovah God, because I'm a little bit confused here, and I don't know, honey, Agar, where? No, not at all. God knows exactly where she is. He just wants her to know where she is. Adam, where art thou? God knows, God sees, but he has a way of pronouncing it so it makes us grapple uh, with, with it. He finds her on her way back to Egypt. She's been hurt. You've been hurt. You've been raped. You've been abused. Like me, you, you may have had almost the life beaten out of you as a kid. And the way you deal with that is you flee. You run away. You get angry. You get bitter. And you get mean. And God comes to you and says, excuse me. That's not the way the child of God lives. And so number two, God commands. He is God. He is Lord of everything. He knows us. He created us. He loves us. He saw where we were hurt and we we were raped or abused or broken or when she walked out on us or when he greatly disappointed us. God saw all that. 
But God's more interested in us, and He wants to, he wants to break through the, the pain and the difficulty. So He comes to his, his precious lady that He created, Hagar, and He goes, The angel of the Lord said to her, Now, who is this, guys? The angel of the Lord is this Christophany. I, am, I really believe that these theologians are on to something. The second person of the Godhead, the, the Lord Jesus in this pre-incarnate form in the Old Testament, he's mentioned many times as the angel of the Lord. He appears unto her, unto Hagar, and he says these words to her. Listen to what he says. He does not say, oh, bless your heart, you're so justified in being angry and being mean. Why don't you just hit gum with me and we'll just go kill them? Now, other religions endorse that, but Christianity never does, Okay. What they do is God says, I want you to, I want you to, this is hard. Look, verse 9, I want you to return. I want you to shub. That's that Hebrew word, to repent. To, and some of you are going, well, well, time out, Brother Dan. Hagar hadn't done nothing wrong. Why is God putting the honest on her? Listen, you didn't do anything wrong either. You were mistreated. You were hurt. You, you're in a difficult situation. But instead of living the rest of your life in bitterness and in isolation and worry and trepidation and fear, God, just like he does, he looks at you in the face and he goes, we have got to deal with this. Go back. Go back. And humble yourself, Anna. Submit, humble yourself, deal with him, deal with her, and let's get on with life. Wow, what a tough word. What a powerful word. When I was teaching in Raleigh, North Carolina, I was a seminary professor there and had got on an airplane to fly to Atlanta, Georgia. I was preaching a series of messages on the Ten Commandments of God. And it's not uncommon at all for me to get on a plane, and I've got books and articles and research, and I'm witnessing to the person next to me, but I'm also reading and studying. And I got on the airplane, and this lady sat next to me, and to say she was fidgety and uh, nervous is a gross understatement. I, I, I really wanted to offer her a cigarette or something. I just want to say, ma'am, you, you, just kidding. It's all good. No, I don't smoke. No emails. Don't want to smoke, Okay. I, I was just like, um, I mean, this lady was like, can I just say it? She's just freaking out. And we had not even left the ground. I had sat down, I'd opened up my Bible, and I'd opened up my notes, and she read the title of my sermon, and she was in a bad way. She was like, I mean, guys, I'm trying to describe you. She's like, and she's moving, and I said, ma'am, I said, are you okay? She said, no. I said, well, what's... I said, what's going on? Can you, can, you, can you just talk to me a minute and what's happening? She goes, I am leaving my husband and my children to meet my boyfriend in Atlanta. And I looked over, and you're preaching on adultery. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am, I, I am. I said, uh, that's what the Bible says, and I'm going to preach it. She goes, I just want you to know this is freaking me out. Of all the people I could sit next to, I sit next to this preacher, dude, who's preaching on committing adultery. Let me tell you something, young man. My husband does not know where I am. He does not know I am on this airplane. My precious little children have no idea where mommy is. And I said, ma'am, I want to tell you something. You need to go home. I said, you need to repent of your sin. You land this plane. When we land this plane, you need to go to your boyfriend and say, I have met Christ, and he has changed me, and I need to submit myself to my family, and I need to go home. It's amazing how an old story like this, 
has so much pertinence and application to... You know why, guys? Because we're still people. And we have not evolved to the aliens. You know? You know, we still got monkeys. We still got people. We're people, and we deal with these raw emotions of mistreatment and hurt and fight and flight and fear, and God comes to us. And listen, some of you are looking at me like, well, I wish an angel of the Lord would come speak to me. Listen, he is. Well, where is he? He's right here. Well, you're just a little old preacher dude from who knows where. Listen, it's God's Word. And he is looking at you saying, I know you've been hurt. I know you've been abused, Hagar. And I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to leave. You're trying to go back home. And you're trying to get it, get it figured out there. But that's not the right answer. I know this is hard. And I know you don't want to hear this. But believe me, God knows best. Return, submit, humble yourself. And I will help you. I will help you. So go back. And to her everlasting credit, verse 10 she starts heading home. And God starts making a promise. Oh, I love verse 10. Look at it. In verse 10, we're going to start with these words. God blesses. God finds. God searches us out. God gives commands. And God blesses. Listen, guys, God's blessings are always following his commandments. Let's keep that in mind. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Honey, I'm going to bless you good. I'm going to bless your multitude of your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, Oh, church, Great Hills, please look. Verb is said. Noun is Lord. Syntax, just a basic noun verb. God said, God said to her. Listen, he said to her, Behold, ma'am, you are with child. You will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And then he goes on to describe him in verse 12. You see what God's doing? He said, listen to me. Listen, if you go to Egypt, it's not going to happen. But if you go back, go back to Canaan, go back where it's hard, submit, do what you know is right. I will always do what is right, thus saith the Lord, and I'm going to multiply you and bless you exceedingly. And can let us just go on record and say, she went back, and 300 million Arabs later, God was true to his word. <laughs> Guess where they are today? I'll quote the old German commentators when they write, history has confirmed God's promise. The Ishmaelites have continued to this day in free and undiminished possession of the extensive peninsula between the Euphrates, the Straits of Suez, the Red Sea, from which they have overspread both northern Africa and southern Asia, end of quote. God is true to his word, and he has blessed her posterity, her descendants, her lineage, her genealogy. God, he finds... God, he's awesome, and he gives commands. And when we are humble and in a posture of humility and we receive it, then God, he blesses with manifold, enormous blessings. I, I know this is going to sound real simple, but it is so powerful. And the Lord said, S-A-I-D. The longer I live on earth, and God's entrusted to me and my wife three awesome, precious teenagers, and they're getting older, but I, I see in their lives, as I've seen it in their adolescence and in their 
younger years, and I go back into my own years in my life, and I know what I was said to me. I know my dad told me, you're a dummy, you're ignorant, why can't you be smart like your brother? My brother basically is a genius, y'all. Jerry is just one of the coolest and smartest people I know. And my dad would compare me to him and say, you're an idiot. Why can't you pick things up like that? And then he'd just, then he'd just beat you. And so I know what it's like to have verbal words spoken over you. Can I just say this to you? The Lord said, I love you. I see you. I want to bless you. Look at this proverb here. Look, look, look at this. Death and life are in the power of what? The tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I got a good friend of mine. He's a pastor in Arkansas. He's got a sermon entitled, Don't Let Your Tongue Lick You. <laughs> you know, use it for good. God's doing this with Hagar. He's saying, listen to me. I know my people have disappointed you. Are y'all okay with that? God says, I know my own people have hurt you, disappointed you greatly. Their names are Abraham and Sarah. Now, I'm going to deal with them, and I'm going to bless them, but we're, we're going to take care of that. But I'm talking to you right now because some of you here at Great Hills with arms crossed and a jaded look on your brow, and you are mad, you're angry, you're still mad, you're still angry, and God says you've got to let that go. <laughs> because if you don't, it's only going to encase you, and it's only going to cripple you and kill you. So God, he finds, boom, he found you. Now he's speaking to you. He said, I want to bless you. And then the last thing is this, God hears and God sees. And this is where it just really gets so cool to me. God says, I am the Lord God. You'll name him Ishmael. Literally in the Hebrew, I am the God who hears you. And then in verse uh, 13, and she said, I'll call this place you are the God who sees. In response to God's revelation, she makes this declaration. Are you with me? In response to the revelation of what she heard from God, she makes this declaration, and you and I are the blessed ones. We get to read in God's Word about this precious lady who was hurt, who was abused, but instead of getting jaded and angry and running home, she ran back to God, she was obedient to God, and God manifests, revealed Himself to her in an amazing way. I am the Lord God who sees you, Rohi. Look at, look at this, verse 13, three times. Three times. You are the God who sees, number one. Have also here seen, number two, him, who, number three, sees me. The all-encompassing, penetrating gaze, laser-like vision of God. Guys, you can't hide from him. You can't hide in church. You can't hide in a bar or in bed with somebody. You can't tuck your way off in the cosmos somewhere and escape his all-encompassing, awesome mind. He says, I am El Roy. I am the God who created everything, and I am the God who looks down and I see. I love this scripture I'm about to put on the screen here. It's Isaiah 61, 3. What a promise. God says, I'll give you an exchange today. Give me your uh, ashes, 
and I'll give you beauty. Give me your mourning, and I will dispense upon you oil of joy. Give me your spirit of heaviness. Guys, some of you are heavy today. I mean, your spirit is heavy. I, I've kind of touched on some things, and you, you thought they were buried, and you thought they were taken care of, and, and God has revealed some things to you. He says, okay, let's open that up and give me that heaviness, and I will give you praise. And you will be called the tree of righteousness. Look what I, the Lord, have done, the planting of the Lord, that he might receive glory. He is such an awesome God. He messes with us. He gets into the nasty, dastardly details of our life. He unpacks the sores and the pain and, and the difficult and the evil. And he, and he interrupts it. He intervenes and intervenes in it. And he says, let's deal with this. I already see it. I already know what is going on, past, present, future. Let's deal with it now. And then let us walk forward and, so that you can be called a tree and oak of righteousness. Isn't God amazing? Y'all heard the story about Johnny and Susan, the young siblings. They went to spend the summer with their grandparents. Hey, life on the farm's kind of laid back. You know, it's, uh, they go to the farm. And, boy, it brings back memories to me. Going to grandmama's house and let's work and let's do all those fun things. Just like, no thanks. And so they went. And Johnny, he's about seven years old, and he's got a slingshot. And y'all got to help this country boy. But y'all know what a slingshot is? Are we, we still so sophisticated in our 360 boxes and stuff? A slingshot, let me, let me demonstrate. You, you put your, whatever you call them. Uh, <laughs> I got teenagers that, I mean, I play their games and stuff, but I, I just buy their games. But anyhow, slingshot, you, you pull it, you put a little rock in it, you pull it back, and you, whoosh, you let it go, and it'll hurl through space. And whatever it hits, it hurts. Sometimes it can kill. And Johnny couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He was pitiful. He'd rear back, it would just go this way, that way, that way. But one day, you know, he's walking, he's frustrated, and he sees Grandma's prize duck. This duck is just quack, quack, you know, walking around, just doing life, having a wonderful life. And Johnny says, I, I'm going to aim at that duck because I know if I aim at it, I'm guaranteed I won't hit it. He pulled it back, bam, hit the duck in the head, boom, the duck died. Just, just. Did one of those layover, dead. And Johnny's like, oh, no. He looked this way. He looked that way. He goes, oh, no. He ran over to that duck. He, he picked it up. Duck is dead. Oh, no. He ran, runs to the woods, digs a hole, puts the duck in the hole, covers it up. He's going, oh, nobody saw me. Nobody saw me. And right when he turned to go home, his sister was looking at him. She said, hey. He goes, um, don't, don't, don't tell nobody. Please don't tell Grandma. Please. Just, they get, they'll get other ducks. It'll be fine. Just, let's just keep this between us, okay? Everything's good. Everything's good. She said, okay. Until that evening. You know, they ate a nice dinner, and uh, Grandma got up. She goes, uh, uh, Sally, uh, uh, Susie, won't you come on here and help Grandma? We're going we're gonna to do the dishes. She goes, no. She said, Johnny said he wanted to do the dishes. And he goes, I didn't want it. And she goes, remember the duck? He goes, oh, oh, yes, yes, Grandmama. Let, I, you know, Susie doesn't have to. I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the dishes, okay? okay? 
Next morning they get up, you know, and they get out there in the farm and they're about to go to work. And granddad says, okay, Susie, come on, Johnny, let's go. I know it's kind of the hard part, but we're going to bale the hay. We're going to get out there in the garden. We're going to take care of things. And so let's go. And so uh, Susie, she gets up and she goes, oh, granddad. She goes, you know, I, I think I'll just, I'll stay back because Johnny said he would do my part and do his part too. And he goes, what are you talking about? She goes, He goes, yeah. And this went on for days. Finally, little Johnny, I mean, lip trembling and big old tears walk up in his eyes. And he goes up to his grandma. He says, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I killed the duck. I killed it. I killed it. He just was going on and on. And the grandma says, Johnny, I know. She goes, he goes, what? She said, I saw everything. <laughs> he goes, what, 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 what do you mean you saw everything? She said, I saw it all. I was just going to wait to see when you were going to quit allowing your sister to torment you. I've been waiting on you all along just to come and ask for my forgiveness. You okay? Satan, I saw what you did. You can't do anything else. Well, you get, yes, I can. You know, I, I can do this. And Satan says, no, you can't. Remember, remember that. And, and, and I've seen it, and I see it happen as a pastor. And we just walk through life like this going, you know, I guess I'll just never amount to anything. Listen, guys, God sees. He was there when it happened. You can allow Satan to abuse you and accuse you, and you can do that, and you can live in defeat, or you can say, God, I'm sorry. Come out in the light, ask for forgiveness, and move on. He's the God who finds. Stay with me. He's the God who commands. He's the God who hears. He's the God who sees you. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment, I want to invite you to just do business with the Lord where you are seated. As we have studied this amazing name of God, the God who sees everything, I know in your heart and in your mind's eye, you would think it would be a whole lot easier if you could just keep this between you and God and, and just not have to deal with it. But there's really something powerful to be said about dealing with it. For some of you, God is saying, go back, forgive, humble yourself, and do the right thing. Some of you today don't have that spiritual wherewithal. You don't have that in you to do it because the Lord is not in your life. You don't know Christ. If I understand anything about Christianity, I understand the cross that in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, I can be forgiven, become a clean individual. So I want to invite you today, those of you that don't know Christ, you may be watching us on television here in Austin or, or national TV on our direct TV channel, or you may be plugging us in here on the Internet and the website. Or To me, most of all, you may be sitting here today. And God, is, he has singled you out. He has put the magnifying glass of his love on your heart. And he's drawing you. He really is drawing you 
to not be encased and caged in bitterness, but to deal with it, to get other people to help you deal with it, and to pray it through, seek forgiveness, reconciliation, and so that you could be free. I'm so glad Hagar's story is in the Bible. I'm so glad I get to read real, live, true stories from Scripture because they speak so powerfully to who we are and where we are today. I know I was a little more transparent with you today than I'd planned on, but I just want to let you know from somebody who's, who's experienced some of this stuff and dealt with it, it sure is freeing. I can't tell you how blessed I am of God that I do not perpetuate that behavior, that that behavior stopped with me. And my children will not perpetuate that onto their kids because they don't know it. They haven't experienced that. Words are powerful, guys. Ladies, words are so explosively powerful. Let us be careful how we speak to one another. Let us encourage one another today. Let us, let us stand. Would you, would you stand with me right now? Go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm, go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm going to pray to God as you stand to your feet, and our band's going to lead us. The altar's going to be available and open. Father, we pray today in Jesus' name. God, we pray that this would be a place of wonderful spiritual healing and restoration. Father, I pray that folks would let things go and that, God, they would utter them, lift them up to you. God, that you would save and heal and forgive. God, thank you that we can't hide. You're, you're like that grandmama, Lord. You, you've seen it all. You know it all. And you're just waiting on us to come unto you. Confess our sins. Confess our need. Confess our hurt. And you are the God that heals, the God that sees us. Lord, would you move upon this invitation? God, would God, would you do what only you can do? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you sing and as you come, God bless you.